You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Welcome to the Collegian Week in Review. Here are your hosts, Maddie Welsh and Lauren Scott. Welcome back to the Collegian Week in Review, where we give you an inside look into Michigan's oldest college newspaper. We're your hosts, Maddie Welsh and Lauren Scott. And today we'll be talking to Logan Washburn about the recent Center for Constructive Alternatives lecture series on the art of biography. Then we will talk to Carly Moran about Sephora kids and that trend on the internet these days, as well as deer hunting in Hillsdale. Uh, but first, Lauren and I will talk about some of the top and most interesting stories in the Collegian this week. Uh, something that I found very interesting is this story. Um, the headline is Ambler Health and Wellness Center Expands Doctor Hours. It doesn't sound too exciting, but it is very useful. Yeah, there has been a time or two whenever I have had to go to the health center for whatever reason. And the times that they have been open, I was in class, which was a little bit inconvenient. So I can imagine there are many students who are happy about this change. The collegiate reporter Adriana Azarian wrote, The Ambler Health and Wellness Center now provides an additional hour every weekday for students, staff, and faculty to see a doctor. Dr. Scott Kirsch of Hillsdale Hospital is now available at the Health and Wellness Center between noon and 4 p.m. Before this semester, his hours were 1 to 4 p.m. In the sports section, which I actually designed this week due to the regular sports editor being out sick, we have many interesting stories. The top story is a profile of the new women's basketball coach. It's a super interesting story. Um, I'll just read to you what assistant editor Maura Gleason wrote. She said, new women's basketball coach Brianna Brennan wants her players to have a better experience than she did in college. When she quit playing the sport, she grew up loving. Brennan left basketball after three years as a forward for NCAA D2 Gannon University in Erie, Pennsylvania. Less than a decade later, 28-year-old Brennan is the head coach of the Hillsdale women's basketball team. So she has been here for a few years as an assistant coach. Uh, But recently, the uh, former head coach of the women's basketball team stepped down and she took over. So it's a very interesting story because she quit playing basketball as a college student, I think, in her junior year. Played volleyball for her last year, but she did not do it for lack of love for the sport. There was just sort of not a great team culture at the university she was at. Um, So her goals as head coach for Hillsdale are to make a better team culture than she had experienced. We also have a preview of the softball season, which will be beginning Friday, February 9th at 1 p.m. They will be playing at a school in Tennessee, and they'll play five games this weekend at that school. So very exciting. They are ranked first in the preseason coaches poll. So Lauren, in your section, you have a great story about a new restaurant. Tell me about that. Yes. So there is a new sports bar in Hillsdale. It's called Underdogs. It is located inside the Market House supermarket. Um, So it's the same building that also is home to Sharon's House of Pancakes, if you know where that is. And this place is really cool. I've been there myself. Um, So it's literally like in the middle of the grocery store, um, but it's a sports bar. So they have a lot of TVs, Um, They have some pretty good drinks. They have really good food. And the atmosphere was really neat uh, because despite it being in the middle of aisles of grocery, 
aisles of groceries, it still really does feel like a different atmosphere than the rest of the grocery store. And so there were, I saw a lot of college kids there. I saw a lot of families there with their young kids. I saw adult couples like out on dates. And so it definitely is a place uh, for the community. It's very family friendly. And so like, I, I kind of didn't really know what to expect because when I thought sports bar, I kind of just thought like, oh, a bar. It's like not like PNG in any way. And it's definitely like not like 55 below. It's like kind of like a new thing that I think a lot of different people can enjoy. So I think it's a great thing that's going to probably bring a lot of, of the community together as well as the college. You also had in your section, not one, but two stories about businesses preparing to celebrate Valentine's Day in different ways. Yes, I did. So Hillsdale Brewing Company is offering a Valentine's Day dinner special, which they have done every year since they opened in 2018. So it's basically, it's $50 uh, for a meal and dessert for two people. And so it's this is a great deal. I actually went last year for Valentine's Day with my fiance, but you can get... Um, they either have a uh, steak or shrimp, and then you also get like mashed potatoes, green beans, and a house-made dessert. Um, they also have the option um, to purchase a bouquet of flowers from Smith's Florals, and so that is an additional charge to the $50. And then you also have the option with the bouquet to purchase a vase with it too, so that's super nice. Kind of makes it easy on the guy. If you want to get like a nice dinner and flowers, you just go to one place. Um, that dinner will be held in the beer garden at the brewing company. And you must call and make a reservation in order to get this dinner special. And then another place that will be celebrating Valentine's Day, but kind of in a different way, is Here's to you, Pub and Grub, also in Hillsdale. And they are having an anti-Valentine's Day dinner special. So basically, it's meant for single people. Um, I believe it is $25. And they are going to have a lot of different food options and even a special bourbon drink with it. And although it is called an anti-Valentine's Day dinner special, they did make it clear that if you are married, you can still come and get this special. It would just be $25 a person. Now let's hear from our guests. You're listening to the Collegian Week in Review. This is Lauren, and I'm here with Logan Washburn, the associate editor of the Collegian. And this week in the news section, there was coverage of the third CCA of this year. And Logan did not report on this. However, he did attend all of the lectures. This CCA in particular the topic was on biographies. And so Logan's going to tell us a little bit about that. What would you say or who would you say your favorite speaker was? Thanks for having me on the show. I would have to say that my favorite speaker was Troy Senek with Kite and Key Media. His company essentially produces um, educational short documentaries um, on different historical subjects and educational topics. So um, they do good work. But his lecture was on Grover Cleveland, because Grover Cleveland is one of the lesser known presidents of our current time. But looking back, he actually had a lot of significance and a lot of people held him in the same esteem that they um, held George Washington when it came to character. I think that I came away with that lecture with a new appreciation for Grover Cleveland 
and just that period of history overall. What are some things you learned about Grover Cleveland that you didn't know? Well, um, I didn't know much about him. I knew about civil service reform, all that stuff that you learn in high school. Um, But what I didn't know was that he really believed in the Constitution applying to everyone. And so he fought for the rights of Native Americans just so the government would honor its agreements with them. He thought that we should treat them equally because he took serious the Declaration of Independence. And when it came to Hawaii, um, this was during American expansion in the Pacific. Um, A lot of people wanted to colonize, but he understood that they were their own people and that they had rights too. And so he, he really tried to exercise restraint there and he advocated for, um, for respecting their rights. Who are some of the other speakers and what did they have to say? So there were um, a lot of different speakers. Roger Kimball, John Swafford, Jonathan Eller, Anne R. Keene, Joseph Epstein. Those were a lot of the outside visitors. Let's see. I can even just run through some of the different lectures that were given. Yeah, totally. Roger Kimball of the New Criterion spoke about Plutarch and the art of biography. And that was really interesting because he talked about how Plutarch wasn't taken seriously in his day because he told stories in a way that um, projected virtue and he saw them as useful to those ends, but it wasn't always the most accurate. So that was interesting. And then John Swafford um, spoke about Mozart and he played a few excerpts from Mozart's works and you could tell the audience really loved that. He also debunked a couple popular myths, like that Mozart was impoverished. Turns out he wasn't. He gave some great insight into his life there. And then Jonathan Eller with Ray Bradbury, who took part on one of the Apollo missions. He talked about who Ray Bradbury was and, yeah, just his significance as a man. It was great. Then um, Anne Keen spoke about Ted Williams in the Cloudbuster Nine. Essentially, that was the story of a baseball team that formed to train fighter pilots before World War II. This was a particularly compelling lecture because she had a lot of photos. She went through and brought back a lot of the historical documents. So that was really cool to see. She actually found out that there was a man surviving. He was a World War II veteran from Marshall, Michigan. He knew Ted Williams and he he spoke with Anne for a while and so she mentioned him and at the end of the presentation during the Q&A portion a man came up from the audience and said that he knew that veteran and that he was um one of the the most holy people he ever knew because he crashed in the Pacific and pledged that he would turn his life around if God would save him and so um ever since then the two had gone to church together so the man was at the microphone tearing up and um, Miss Keen teared up as well. And so um, you could tell this story had a lot of resonance with her. You know, um, Joseph Epstein spoke about um, the overall art of autobiography. Um, he gave some great insights there. Then we had a round table with some professors. And so overall, it was great. All right, Logan. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thanks for having me on the show. I always enjoy it. This is the Collegian Week in Review. This is Maddie, and I'm here with Carly Moran, an assistant news editor of the Collegian. And this week she wrote a few things, and one of them was an opinion piece entitled Keep Kids Out of Sephora. 
So Carly, tell me what the thesis of this piece is. Someone who goes to Sephora and also is involved in the world of skincare from a young age, I've really recently encountered a problem where I've heard about these kids that are going to these makeup stores like Sephora and Ulta. They're only like 10. And the problem is not that they're going to these stores, but unfortunately that they are using these products that are not only just not for their age, but actually can be quite harmful. And then kind of as a side effect of that, not only are they damaging their already sensitive skin with harsh chemicals like retinols and exfoliants, but it's just additionally an issue because you have these parents that are willing to concede to their children and just pay $40 for these expensive creams that are not meant for them, not doing the research for their children, and also giving them plenty of screen time just to go on these platforms like TikTok and YouTube where you are getting this advice from influencers that often is either based on sponsorships and not actual dermatology, or maybe they are dermatologists, but it's not advice that you would give a 10-year-old. It's skincare advice that is more for someone that's 20 years older. What specifically can be the harms of children using these products that are not meant for them? Right. So I can actually talk about that on a personal level. So I have dealt with acne since I was about 11 years old. And because of that, I was given a prescription for some of those harsher chemicals. Um, we're talking about like clindamycin, retinol creams, which were like a generic that were prescribed to me through my local pharmacist. I was actually told to use them by a doctor. And nevertheless, they still did cause some harm to my skin barriers so that to this day, I'm a lot more prone to redness, I'm more prone to sunburns, things like that on my skin than I would have otherwise. However, in my situation, it was considered a lesser evil than getting intense acne scarring potentially from the cystic acne I had for about three years in my life. It's less of an issue with the chemicals themselves and more of the application of it. I think it is a broader issue with parents not knowing what their children are up to as much anymore if they ever really did. But I think with the usage of the internet, it's become much more of a problem. People don't know what they're giving their children anymore. And oftentimes these children don't know what they're getting into. And, you know, it's become a bit of a meme in the sense that a lot of people on these platforms, these same platforms where the children are getting this unsolicited skincare advice, People have been making fun of them for maybe destroying the displays in places like Ulta, you know, just splaying the creams out everywhere and ruining these expensive products. But really, that's not my main issue that I'm discussing. You know, kids, if, if they're not being watched over, they're going to make a mess. That's not necessarily the child's fault. That is the parent's fault. And once again, that brings it back to the broader topic of why are these kids feeling the need to pay for or have their parents pay for these upwards of $30 products that they don't even need. I feel like there's just such a larger theme and trends lately of children getting things that are not appropriate for their age. I completely know? agree. Whether yeah. that's skincare, makeup, clothing, things like that. I, mean, I was just at Target the other day 
with some friends. To each their own, to every parent their own. But we saw on a mannequin that was clearly supposed to be for about a, I would say like a six to seven year old girl, a full on crop top displayed on the kid. We were about three women there and we were all just kind of shocked. Like, why are we having children show skin when they can't even consent to that? Nowhere near the age where they should even be considering dressing like that. It's I, I feel bad for the kids this at this point in time, to be honest. You have a really lovely line at the very end. You wrote, do not be afraid to grow old. It is a privilege. And then you also said earlier um, you compared this sort of trend to like a modern narcissist. Tell me about these ideas here. I, I talked about my grandma, particularly toward the end. She's older for sure now. And, you know, there's no denying that. And I think it's easy. We've seen a lot of celebrities now, for example. I mean, the big one in the news recently has been Madonna, you know, the pop singer, about how people are almost trying to obscure their age to the point of, to the point of it being kind of embarrassing. And I think it's a bit tragic that we're so afraid of our own mortality. I think that age is a beautiful thing. Maybe it's not a sexual thing, so people don't like that, Um, but that's their problem. I think it's a beautiful thing for the sake that it shows experience. It shows that you have been lucky enough to live many years of your life because I've known plenty of people that have not had the privilege of seeing the wrinkles on their skin because they're six feet under. I think it, it just says a lot about how we fear our own mortality and how we fear accepting the responsibility that comes with age, I think. I think there's a lot of people that want to permanently be 25. I, I think it's not something to be afraid of. It's something to be proud of, aging. Thank you, Carly. I'll pass you on to Lauren to talk about your other stories. Thank you. So in the city news section this week, you wrote a story about um, Hillsdale County and its deer harvest exceeding the statewide average. So tell me some reasons why the county exceeded the statewide average. Yeah, so there's a few factors in play there uh, that I'll try to carefully explain here, as I'm not a biologist, sadly. But one of the things that makes Hillsdale County unique is our corn harvest. So traditionally, deer populations are a lot healthier or a lot larger when you have a large agricultural um, basis, such as in Hillsdale County, with corn. Um, So we have um, a much larger corn harvest than other counties in Michigan, largely because we're in the southern half of the state. And in addition to that, not only did we have a large successful harvest this year, but we also were able to gather it all fairly early in the fall season, which meant that we had open fields for the hunters to be able to spot the deer in. So it was a combination of having a large, healthy, for the most part, deer population combined with easy access for the hunters to be able to spot the deer um, in those same fields. That led to the unique success of Hillsdale County. However, there are some socioeconomic aspects that are also in play. For example, I had a lot of people just telling me through their interviews that Hillsdale County does maintain, compared to other locations in Michigan, a very strong hunting heritage. 
where at one point that was very common across the state, particularly in the north, that has become less common. I think you potentially see it, especially with the college, the more conservative demographic of this county, especially being interested in getting involved in hunting. You talked to Professor of History Dr. Rainey about the importance of having hunters in the community. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so Dr. Rainey is someone who has hunted, especially in the northern portion of the state. So he was particularly fascinated by how Hillsdale seems to maintain that interest where other parts of the state don't, like I said. So, for example, he inherited a plot of land in northern Michigan. I'm not sure if it was the UP or just a northern part of the Maine Peninsula from family where he still hunts to this day. And he's said that he's been blessed enough to be able to maintain that land and the uh, structures on it so that he can continue that heritage of hunting for his family and friends who so choose to go to that property. But he said one of the large issues is that a lot of those heritage sites are no longer kept up or they have been sold to large corporations that are buying up land, things like that, which has made hunting a lot less accessible for the average person. All right, Carly. Well, thank you for joining us on the show today. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. You have been listening to the Collegian Weekend Review on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. We're your hosts, Lauren Scott and Maddie Welsh. You can find the Collegian online at hillsdalecollegian.com. You can also find previous episodes of the Collegian Weekend Review online at cwir.transistor.fm. Once again, you've been listening to the Collegian Weekend Review on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.